Hi, everybody, and welcome to the third episode of the Be With podcast, a podcast about the art and practice of care with me, your host, Barbara Roshna. And just like that, we're on episode number three. And actually, today is extra special because it is interview number one. Today on the podcast, I have one of my very best friends, Margot Feldman, who is a brilliant academic and writer, and she's here to help me have a conversation about self-worth, capitalism, and feelings. Now, this is a pretty long chat, so I want you to get ready, and we cover a lot. We do everything from talk about what neoliberalism is, which she defines for us, to how to have difficult conversations with our friends, to what allyship looks like, how we manage shame as allies who try and do good work in the world to support those more marginalized than ourselves, um, as well as how we call people in versus when it's appropriate to call people out, what those terms even mean. We're going to talk about a lot of different things on this podcast. What I want you to know is that at some points, this podcast might get a little heavy, We talk about the realities of living in our society today and how hard that might be for different folks living within the margins and with various marginalized identities. So if you're like me and queer or you're a person of color, someone with a disability, someone who's lower class, I just want you to know that I want you to be extra gentle when listening to this specific episode because we talk about the realities that lots of us live with every single day, but that can sometimes feel really heavy. So as you're listening to this podcast, you know, take a break when you need a chance, but then come on back and stick around for the end. Um, Because I really hope that this podcast offers a lot of hope about how to talk about these things, about how to stay engaged, about how to make sure that we feel good about ourselves, whether we fall into success and what success looks like within capitalism or not. Um, And yeah, and it's just an honest conversation between two friends and also between two pretty brilliant women, of whom I am one of. So I feel very excited to welcome you to the table. All right, let's get started. Hi, everybody. Welcome and welcome Margot Feldman to the podcast. Hi, buddy. I'm so glad you're here. This is the nicest. This is so wild. Um, So Margot is one of my best friends in the wide world. She was one of my brides, babes, when I got married. And I wanted to have this conversation with her because I, like I mentioned in the first episode, I just think that she takes all these really smart, brilliant, theoretical concepts and brings them down to our real life and our real world and... Um, helps me and keeps me in check and how I mix politics with real life and where that fits into my daily living. And so I wanted to host you on the podcast to have this conversation, Marco. So I'm so, so glad you're here. Um, Before we get started, do you want to just tell the people a little bit about yourself, about what you do for work, what you do for like so, I guess the the old like, what's your occupation and your preoccupation? Oh, I Just love introduce that. yourself a little <laughs> to the people. Uh, yeah, great. It's been really funny recently because I've been having to write a bunch of different kinds of bios because I'm just starting to do different kinds of work, and it's really funny to see what pieces of like my occupation I pick up and where they get placed uh, in those bios depending on the work that I'm doing. So I guess like the easiest response in terms of occupation is that I'm doing a PhD uh, at U of T. 
um, in English Lit, and I'm part of the collaborative program with Sexual Diversity Studies. Mm. So I just think about all the queer things all the time. It's pretty great. Um, but I, I think if I were to, like, to define myself or my preoccupation, mm-hmm. it's community building. Mm. And, you know, so the reason I even decided to do this crazy thing called a PhD was because I love teaching and I love building community in spaces where we are committed to learning and growing with one another. Um, And so during my PhD, I did a certificate in community-engaged learning. I've also gotten certificates in conflict resolution, and I work at the Conflict Resolution Center at U of T, providing uh, support for fellow grad students on all sorts of difficult things that they have to navigate both inside and outside of the world of academia. And now I'm like starting to do workshops in the world, which feels so exciting because I think, you know, we see the university as like the ultimate place for learning. Mm -hmm. And I really don't believe that that's true. Mm -hmm. And I'm really excited to think about what alternative spaces for learning can look like that um, are better equipped to like facilitate community building. Mm. Whoa, that is badassery. Like, I, I'm aware that you're a badass, uh, but sometimes when I hear you describe everything you do, I'm just, like, in shock and in awe. And then also so not surprised. I'm like, yeah, of course you're one of my best friends. Like, because that sounds, <laughs> that sounds awesome. That sounds like things that I want to be engaged in and be thinking about. And so I just love that you are thinking about those things actively and you're engaged in them actively and you're... I feel like you're someone in my life who very actively tries to bring a new world into being um, through your choice of what you do for work, what you do for money, um, and how you facilitate not just your working life, but also your community and your relationships. Um, and it's like it's a very inspiring model for me to have as someone who's trying to bring my like working life and my politics and my identity and my feelings all into kind of a holistic self. And that's kind of one of the big projects of this podcast is to allow more of my full true self to be visible online and um, to be engaged kind of in internet platforms and even with my Instagram community in more real ways. So it's just, it's inspiring to see that you already do that. You're your model, your role model for me in that way. And it's so funny, like how, you know, we like often like put these other people in our lives in the like on these pedestals that mm-hmm. we like don't claim for ourselves mm-hmm. because I feel like everything that you just said there I'm like <laughs> that's what you're doing you're so real on the internet like you're the realist on the internet um, <laughs> that's what I'm sometimes I just feel like I'm not political enough you know like I feel like hmm. considering how political I am and queer I am and like how committed I am to radical ways of living in my everyday life sometimes it feels like I present this kind of like uh, like, you know, find what feels good, white girl, like, messaging. And I try and work really hard against that. Um, or at least I am trying to work really hard against it these days while also being like, actually, I do think your pleasure is really important. And I actually think your pleasure is radical. And I do hold the position I hold in the world for better and for worse as a white woman. And so, like, let's complicate that. Let's complicate the fuck out of it. Um, so yeah, well, that's really nice to hear. And you're yeah. also a human who has to make money living under capitalism. So it's like, <laughs> oh, we're going to talk so much uh, about that. You know, like that's, 
it's real. Like, they need to survive and to make choices that are going to ensure your survival. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, with the world that we live in, that does mean at times we're not being as political Mm -hmm. as we might Mm -hmm. want to be. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't think that that, like... You know, I sort of think of it as, like, the sort of Trojan horse. Yeah. Where, like, you know, you're getting these very radical ideas out to a more mainstream audience, but you aren't, like, packaging it as, like, here's your radical intersectional feminist, (laughs) like, anti-capitalist, like, you know, like, offering. Yeah. Um, But those ideas and those values are there. Yeah. And, um, you know, I want to live in a world where we can just be, like, so open Mm -hmm. about our politics. But Mm -hmm. the reality is, when we do that, we often alienate people who don't understand the full picture or have, Mm -hmm. like, a particular idea of, like, you know, even people who have resistance to calling themselves a feminist. Mm -hmm. You know, they're thinking of often, like, a very second-generation form of feminism where it's like burn your bra mm-hmm. like you hate all men mm-hmm. you know um kind of like manifesto and that's that is like yes the, those things exist there but it's not the full picture mm-hmm. um so yeah i mean it's good to question what is motivating your actions in the world and to challenge yourself um but I also think we just need to be a little bit gentler on ourselves sometimes. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah, I mean that's real, and I I feel like you know there's actually for those folks who are listening who are in the entrepreneurial community, they will have heard that kind of example of the Trojan horse in terms of like that that's actually a a way of marketing hmm. that you sell people what they want, but you give them what they need. Hmm. So they are like <laughs> selling nutritional dietitian services under the idea that like it'll clear up your skin but what you're actually helping them do is balance their hormones um (laughs) you know and like this has been really popular and I think it is a big part of how I built my audience and my brand um not always intentionally I think out of survival like you spoke about Mm -hmm. but I think I'm hitting this point in my own practice and you've seen me transition into this where like I feel like I can't Emotionally, I can't afford not to be my full self on the internet. Yeah. And I I'm, I feel like there's, I'm less worried these days that I'm going to alienate people uh, than I used to be. Because I feel like there's been so much waking up and so much consciousness raising and so much awareness around systemic injustice that I feel like there's finally room for like my full lefty self on the internet. Having said that, like even, you know, this is such a s- simple and kind of small example, but anyone who's got a business online is going to laugh at this. Like, I've lost Instagram followers in the last couple weeks as I've been posting more about my grief, more about homophobia, more about my family, more about um, kind of like my lefty politics. It's the first time I've had a drop off in followers I- I- ever. Um, and it's been interesting for me to notice that and be like, okay, yeah, if you're out, you're out. Like, that's cool. But I'm my job right now and my job always is to build my business for myself and from there I trust it will serve those that I need like if I'm not building this for me then what the fuck am I doing and so I build the business for me and then in that it serves other people also who also want to be supporting themselves um and I believe that when I build my business for me because I know who I am I'm also building my business for other people because my values are so intersectional and so 
you know, focused around the fact that self-care is what leads us to community care and like self-empathy is what leads us to empathy for other people. I don't think we can be a monster towards other people if we're being truly gentle and kind and loving with ourselves, Mm. especially those parts of ourselves that we feel ashamed of or that we feel are like quote unquote flawed or broken, which I don't even believe in. Um, I feel like if we extend that kind of gentleness and kindness towards ourselves, that is going to lead us to have greater empathy for other people. And so I'm, yeah, I'm just in this like very vulnerable moment in my business where I'm just like kind of coming out in all of these sorts of ways. And to hear you, yeah, to hear you kind of talk about the Trojan horse, it makes me feel like, oh yeah, like I can actually honor the history of where I've come from and how I've built this brand. And also I can find ways of coming out slowly over time in a way that feels sustainable and manageable for me as well. Um, Yeah. And I like want, you know, part of me, like when you talk about like losing Instagram followers, like I feel sad about that, but I feel like the sadness is like for those people, Mm, like it's so like when people decide that they're going to opt out instead of being challenged, instead of like confronting whatever discomfort is Mm -hmm. coming up for them that makes them feel like unfollow is like the first thing they need to be doing. Mm -hmm. Like that's sad. Um, You know, and, like, I hope that, you know, at some point in, you know, those humans' lives, they're going to open themselves up Mm -hmm. to sitting with the discomfort of being challenged, um, and maybe we'll, like, return to your message, but, yeah, it's, like, all you can do is be you, and the people that want to receive that are going to push through whatever resistance Mm -hmm. they have and the people who won't like there's nothing you could do um because you're not going to sell anyone your products if you're not being authentic yeah uh it's really hard to fake that shit yeah and that's just not an interest i have in my life i like to live full full barbara (laughs) full Full speed barbara all the time Um, Which, by the way, for the audience, this is hilarious because I'm currently sitting, like, halfway into a closet, (laughs) which is really glorious, so that Margot and I can both uh, record this in my office slash guest room. It's a pretty classy situation. Maybe we'll capture it for Instagram and share. Uh, I really... Part of me wants to have this image just for myself, but I think it would be, like, a public good to, like, share it. I think so, too. I think so, too. Um, So can we talk about that night that I mentioned Mm -hmm. to the audience earlier uh, that you kind of gently stood there and held space for me? If you didn't hear the full story. So this was maybe... uh, I'm going to say, like a year and a half, maybe two years into my practice. Um, I'd already been working as an emotional wellness coach for a while. Um, A lot of my clients were still seeing me sliding scale, which I continue to have a sliding scale, but it's much smaller these days. And I was still struggling to pay my bills with my coaching work. Um, And it was really, really difficult. I don't want to downplay how difficult it was. It was emotionally exhausting to feel like I was working a lot, but not making a lot of money. And uh, I kind of felt like I was um, a record start stuck on repeat. And there was one day where Margot and I came back late from Toronto Island. We like got off the ferry and we stood down by the water. We actually stood like on a bike lane just off the the boardwalk. And 
I just, my girl held space for me for like an hour at 10.30 p.m. while I talked about how I felt like I wasn't having an impact and I wasn't making a difference. And the way that I knew that is because I wasn't making any money and maybe I should just give this whole thing up and scrap it and throw it under the table. And Margot served up some real truth my way and made me think twice about how I was engaging uh, with my business and with my errors around money and impact at that moment. Um, so yeah, Margot, do you want to tell us a little bit about what your experience and memory of that night is like? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, I'm so glad that like that was a positive experience because sometimes like you don't... You know, I think at that point, I was still in, like, baby stages of learning how to have hard conversations mm -hmm. with people that I care about. Um, and, you know, what I just kept hearing come up again and again were, like, very capitalist narratives mm -hmm. of what success should look like. Mm -hmm. You start a business and, like overnight it just becomes this incredible success story and you're on Oprah and like you know you have to hire 20 people to work for you and like it just happens like that yeah. um and that's like the story of the American dream mm -hmm. for you folks it's like you know just pull up your bootstraps and you can have success mm -hmm. it is there for you and the reality is that while that's a beautiful dream, uh, gorgeous fantasy, very attractive, <laughs> um, that's not the reality for a lot of people, especially people who are offering something to the world that they're not ready for, mm -hmm. but that they need. Mm -hmm. And so at that point in time, it's like you were like, you know, people are starting to have conversations around like self-care, but very quickly self-care is being co-opted. Mm -hmm by neoliberalism which is saying like just have a bath and I mean I love a bath a bath is one of my go-to <laughs> modes of self-care yeah. um you know especially as someone who deals with chronic pain but like I also just love water I'm a cancer baby like baths are great no shade to baths um, no shade no shade to baths no like take all the baths you want I feel like that should be a hashtag by this point no shade to baths <laughs> So much shade has been thrown to baths by people, which, like, I get. I get. I think self-care is about tuning into every single moment, what you need. Mm -hmm. But I think somewhere in there, baths got, like, a really bad name. And I'm like, baths are still really good for you. I know. Or, like, chocolate. You're like, yeah, I eat the chocolate. Watch the Netflix. Like, do those things. Yeah. But, you know, I think, obviously, what we see happening is that particular story packages self-care as something that can be purchased. Mm -hmm. And it also packages as something that's very individual. Mm -hmm. Like, it's focused, like, you. You, human, you take a bath. You stay mm -hmm. at home and watch Netflix and order that pizza. Like, it's very you-oriented, and that's mm -hmm. part of what, like, capitalism and neoliberalism is all about. It's that privileging of the individual. Mm -hmm. And so what happens when you fail? It's your fault. Yeah. Um... And, you know, what happens, like, when, for those people who, you know, I mean, a bath is fairly accessible for most people, but, like, there are so many other forms of self-care that get packaged. If you're someone who's poor, mm -hmm. that's not available to you. Mm -hmm. And um, so, you know, as, as we were standing there, and I was, like, hearing you talk about being a failure, I was like, woo, girls' neoliberalism, light switch is flicked on up. right can, now. Can you just 
for the audience, because I cannot, I will do a terrible job of it, explain what neoliberalism means. Like, I know you've even already pulled up a definition, if the audience yes. heard that little shuffle. Like, Margot is so prepared, because I was like, I I can't, I can't give it justice. I, I feel like my, my values might be good, and I feel like I'm pretty settled on my anti-capitalist values, but shit son i have no clue how to explain what neoliberalism so yeah yeah so you know like uh, i love transparency so i'm currently when barbara said that she wanted me to define this term i pulled up my notes from uh the intro lecture i gave to a queer writing class uh two summers ago because it was something where i was like i know i need to like you know sometimes like you know a word but mm-hmm. like if someone asked you to define it you were like like you don't yeah. feel so so basically like neoliberalism is an ideology, so a way of life, mm-hmm. a way of existing, a set of values that we live under mm-hmm. with late capitalism. Um, so neoliberalism... Late capitalism also, we're going to need to yeah. define that. <laughs> capitalism, I think most people are on board. Like, yeah. we value product over person and reduce value to what can be produced and created and sold and marketed and money made into money. Yeah, so I mean, yeah. So like, like, over here, so, also, I'm like, yeah. over here being like, oh God, am I explaining even capitalism well? Yeah. I know what like capitalism is. It's like, means that system is dying. Well, yeah, and it's like, you know, we're in a moment of late capitalism in the sense that we're starting, we've become critical mm-hmm. of capitalism. Mm-hmm. Um, it's no longer seen by everyone as this, like, system to adopt and way to live. Mm -hmm. Um, and it also means, you know, I think that, like, part of what makes capitalism late capitalism is neoliberalism. Mm -hmm. So, you know, neoliberalism is, you know, the belief that, you know, the individual is the person that we privilege. Mm-hmm. Um, so I sort of think about neoliberalism both in theory and in practice. So mm-hmm. in theory, it's like privileging the individual. It's that like American dream. Mm-hmm. You can achieve anything if you work hard enough. Um, but it also comes with like uh, socioeconomic concerns, like this idea that markets should be deregulated. So mm-hmm. it should be just like free markets for all. Um, and I mean, I'm not an economist, so I can't really speak to like exactly why that is a problem, um, or sort of can, but I'll maybe return to that. Um, it's this like full stop believe in like the state, Mm -hmm. the state will protect you and all of your rights. It is there as like the regulating body. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, I see very quickly how this is getting problematic, especially for all of my like American listeners, though in Canada for reals, there's shit going on here here too, everyone, but especially for Americans who are losing their goddamn minds right now, as you rightly should be. Yeah, exactly. So it's, you know, it's not just, like, the state, like, who's the president, but, like, the belief in, like, prison systems, Mm -hmm. the belief in the criminal justice system as, like, the only way for there to be justice is, you know, for someone to go to jail, Mm -hmm. um, and this idea of, like, punishment um, without rehabilitation. So, you know, and and prison systems, like, like the state makes so much money off of prison systems. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I could talk a lot about like my feelings about prison systems and incarceration, but I will digress. Um, So, you know, this idea that, yeah, the state is there. It's going to protect individuals and marketplaces. Don't worry. Um, 
And that this this idea that like wealth will eventually trickle down. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just going to stay up there in the top with like that, you know, 1%. But it's this idea like the market will like create jobs and therefore wealth mm. will be available for everyone. Oh, I feel like I have heard this on a political platform or two during <laughs> an election season. I mean, I have uh, no idea what you're talking about. No clue. Uh, jobs for the poor. That's how we're going to convince <laughs> you to give all the tax breaks to all the extremely wealthy and corporations. Yeah, I would love to see that executed. Uh, so I mean, like, you know, these are the theories. And so what is this? What does this look like in practice? Mm-hmm. So translating it into practice, it looks like lower taxes for the rich. Mm-hmm. Because the rich all just want to create jobs for the poor and give them all their money. So let's just give them more tax breaks. Of course, the reality is we don't see that happening. Nope. Um, if you just like look at all of the hoopla, even in Ontario over the, uh, like, uh, why am I the minimum hourly wage, mm-hmm. like, getting increased, mm-hmm. and, like, businesses, like, freaking out, being, like, we're not going to be able to survive if we have to, like, pay more, but it's, like, if people are making more money, the reality is people are also spending mm-hmm. more money. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, everyone's going to benefit from that. Uh, prisons are run by private companies, by the state, um, and other, like, important resources get outsourced to private companies like Hydro, um, garbage collection, etc. <sighs> you know, and one of the places for me that, like, neoliberalism really is working itself out in practice is the university. Mm-hmm. So, you know, universities, I mean, let's not even talk about what it's like for you guys in the U.S. Like, you know, as someone who was only able to go to university in part from you know, social service assistance, um, and also by working full-time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you did. Yeah, sure did that. Uh, you know, the, you know, when we see places like Germany um, and other places in Europe starting to make uh, post-secondary education free, mm-hmm. that's, like, releasing the university from neoliberalism. Cool. So it's like, all right, everyone should have access to education because, again, everyone benefits from that. Mm -hmm. But universities now run like a business, Mm -hmm. you know? So, and then, you know, again, this is more within, um, you know, the U.S. context, but thinking about, like, the outsourcing of, like, the military. So Mm -hmm. that's, like, another way that it plays out. So, I mean, the issues with neoliberalism have sort of come up a little bit in here, but I'll just do my little Cliff's Notes version of it in case uh, it wasn't clear to you. So the reality is wealth doesn't trickle down. Yeah. It becomes concentrated in the 1%. Neoliberalism tends to perpetuate class and racial and gender inequality. Mm -hmm. Um, It promotes a credit economy, which leads Mm -hmm. to, like, further debt. And, of course, who has the debt? All the poor people. Um, and austerity measures are put into place. So I think of, like, in Detroit, when things were really starting to hit the fan there, um, the mayor decided that one of the austerity measures was that um, certain areas would get electricity for X hours of the day, and then they wouldn't have it, and then the next neighborhood would get it from, like, X hour to X hour. Mm -hmm. And so, you know... Those are austerity measures. It's mm-hmm. like, how can I cut mm-hmm. uh, down services in mm-hmm. order to save money? Mm-hmm. Um, and that this will enable the economy to thrive. But again, 
who gets screwed over by that, yeah. it's not the 1%. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, so yeah, so those are, you know, there's your neoliberalism 101. Thank you so much. That's, I mean, it's like, I'm guessing a lot to take in. If you've never heard neoliberalism talked about at all, then just give yourself a hot minute. We're going to, after we talk about how we dealt with me having kind of like been unintentionally buying into that system, I think it'd be good for us to talk about feelings. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, please. And how we deal with our feelings in response to all this super painful stuff that we're talking about right now. Like these are, um, I mean, you and I are both white women, so these realities affect us, but they do not affect us nearly to the same extent uh, than if you and I were either women of color or trans folks of color. Um, And so I think it's, you know, depending on where your positionality is in the world, like take care of yourself as you hear us talking about these things. And for all of us, we have to take care of ourselves as we talk about these things, because when we talk about it at that kind of like bird's eye view, it can feel pretty freaking depressing and pretty scary um but there are ways uh to be working against that ideology in our day-to-day lives and so you know uh that's what we're going to discuss a lot over today's episode and how to be having these conversations in constructive and healing ways uh, with people we love and trust and even sometimes eventually once we're ready with people with whom we disagree but that is not the topic of today's podcast so um yeah so how Margot, can you explain how I was buying into neoliberalism at that moment? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, the very idea that, like, if you are, like, that your success mm-hmm. um, is tied to how much money you're making. Yep. Uh, that would probably be, like, one of the biggest ones. Mm-hmm. Um, because, I mean, you know, you could have a roster of, you know, however many clients would make you feel like you were successful, but potentially you could actually not be making a significant difference in their lives. Like the work that you do is world changing. Mm. It is like you want to help people learn how to exist in the world in a way that is supportive for themselves, but also for others. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it was like, to me, both this idea of like, okay, my success is tied to numbers. Mm -hmm. Um, and also this, like, story of where you should be by X point. Yeah. So we just have this, again, like, very linear, like, you know, if you're sort of looking at, like, a graph, it would just be, like, this, like, upward motion. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the story of progress that capitalism loves. Yeah. Um, and... That's the one that we all want, of course, because we all want to be successful and not have to, like, be dealing with scarcity and precarity and, like, all of these awful feelings of how am I going to pay my rent. Yeah. Of course. Um, But, you know, when we start to doubt the value Mm -hmm. that we have, and I'm talking about value that is not tied to dollars. I'm talking about, like, your value as a human in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, who has gifts to share, Mm -hmm. it's like, if you were to think about that in terms of, like, capitalist gain, to me, that's so contradictory to the message that you have Mm -hmm. for people. It's really about dismantling those scripts that tell us we're not good enough, Mm -hmm. that tell us we haven't done enough, Mm -hmm. that tell us it's our fault, Mm -hmm. 
Um, if, you know, we're not as successful, that place us in competition with others instead mm-hmm. of, like, looking at others who are succeeding and feeling inspired. Yeah. Or that. feeling like we're working together. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, like, what I wanted to say is, like, it's totally normal to have those feelings because that is the world we live in. Yeah. That's the world you've been raised in. Mm-hmm. And so I think the worst thing we can do sometimes is make ourselves feel bad for having those feelings. I know. Oh, it's yeah. so killer. It's like one of my biggest things is like, okay, so maybe we can't get rid of the judgment that you're having of yourself right away, but can we drop the judgment around the judgment? Can we yeah. drop the judgment around the feeling sad? Like, can we drop the judgment around feeling guilty? Can we drop the judgment around like feeling bad, whatever it is, because there's like, there's the feeling, and then we pile on top of the feeling mm-hmm. with, like, a secondary judgment. Mm-hmm. And it's like, ooh, does that help anyone? Is that supportive to you in any way, shape, or form right now? No. Yeah. It never. It just never is. It create, yeah. You go into a spiral, and I think that's what I was, like, seeing with mm-hmm. you. It was, like, you were just, like, spiraling in the shame circle mm-hmm. of doubt. And, like, I, you know, part of the reason that moment that I felt like I needed to, like, speak up was because I just from the beginning have just so firmly believed in what you have to offer and it's not just because I love you and you're one of my best friends it's like I legit feel like you are offering the world something that it needs Mm -hmm. and if you continued to operate within that mindset you were going to sabotage yourself Um, it was never going to be successful so you know it's important like I want us to hold space so part of you know Barbara's like we're going to talk about feelings and I'm like yes you know, part of my MO is like, and you know, I know Barbara and I are aligned on this. It's like, I want to hold space for all the feelings. Mm -hmm. If you're feeling bad when you just like heard me explain neoliberalism and all of its shittiness. Yeah. Good. Yeah. That's an appropriate feeling to have. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) That's great. If you are not feeling bad, like that's actually a little bit more concerning to me to be honest. Um, you know, if you're hearing about, like, and learning about the ways in which systemic oppression operates and the ways in which you are complicit in that, yes, feel bad mm-hmm. and then move from judging yourself, you know, and those are like those people that just click unfollow, right? Mm-hmm. Start judging, so you just unfollow, um, you know, and for me, it's it's just all about, like, getting curious yeah. about that bad feeling. Mm-hmm. Oh, this isn't making me feel good. Why? Mm-hmm. Why is that? Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. Like, how can I explore that more? Yeah. How can I, like, channel that into some form of positive growth? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it was, you know, I think that the first thing that really got me about that conversation that you and I had together, and I think you've already stated this, but just to speak from my experience, that moment where you said you're actually actively working against what it is that that you're preaching when you equate your impact or your success with the amount of money that you're making. Because, you know, a a big part of what I stand for is that our worth is innate. Our worth is because we exist. We exist, therefore we are valid. And so, and there's so much labor done all the time that is never appropriately compensated within capitalism. You know, any sort of quote-unquote women's work that doesn't get properly compensated, you know, uh, I mean, like, so, so, so much labor. And so I think when you literally said to me, like, Barbara, you're not actually actively supporting yourself with the very values that you stand on and that you teach your clients, that really made me, like, slow down and hold my horses and really rethink how I was approaching 
my own growth as a business owner, my own growth as a person, and how I could get better aligned with my own values. Um, and I think that I often get this thing, you know, in client work where we kind of will be talking about uh, something that a client is experiencing in their lives, you know, an easy example, a very common example, unfortunately, is like someone will feel very unhappy at work and will keep making it about them and the fact that they're not doing enough or they're not the right culture fit or something. Um, and what will happen is that eventually we'll name just how hard that system that they're part of is writing them, just how abusive or toxic or overwork normalized that environment is. Um, and so part of them coming to terms with that reality is them having a grieving process about the fact that they're in a shitty situation. Mm -hmm. And my response is always, they're always like, oh, but I don't want to feel so sad and like such a victim and so powerless. And I'm like, no, actually that's a healthy response to what's happening. It means that you are aware and awake to the fact that you are in circumstances that are not supportive to you um, and that are unkind and that you deserve better. So actually to feel like shit is to help you move through this. And I felt like in that moment, you know, um, it was a very uncomfortable thing for me to hear. Mm -hmm. Like it was a very, it brought up some very uncomfortable feelings to hear that I was literally investing my emotional energy um, in upholding a system I don't believe in for myself in that moment. And to have you say that to me was deeply uncomfortable. Um, and yet, in many ways, it also took the weight off my shoulders because it said like, Barbara, give yourself a, a break, you know? Like, you told me to give myself a break, but as we know, often giving, telling our friends to give themselves a break is, like, it can be really hard for our friends. But the fact that you made it clear to me that it wasn't, it wasn't my fault that I bought into this ideology, but that I also didn't need to keep it going. Yeah. That I could choose an alternative way of thinking about my situation. Um, and that even if I had to, I remember at that point, like, get a part-time job or something, that that would not be my failure. That that wasn't a sign of me not having an impact or me being on the road wrong road. That was a sign of the fact that I'm trying to build something within a system that doesn't actually want my work to succeed because part of what I'm building is like a, uh, a way of us supporting ourselves and other people that says actually let's stop enabling the system mm -hmm. like let's take the system and start pulling it apart and breaking it down and the way we have to do that is to begin with the ways in which we've internalized the system and turned it against ourselves and the way that we've turned ourselves against ourselves by holding ourselves up to all these unrealistic, unkind, inhumane expectations. And then when we don't live up to them, we blame ourselves instead of the system. Well, and it's so much easier, like, to blame ourselves instead of the system. Mm -hmm. Because as soon as, you know, you start to think, oh, like, this is, like, if it's me, if the problem's with me, I can change me. Right? Right? Oh. So, but, like, how am I, as this one person, going to change the entire structure of the organization that I work in or, you know, the entire structure that is capitalism that, like, allows that yeah. structure, you know, to, to continue to thrive. But, like, you know, one, one quote that I, like, try to remember in those moments is from, like, one of my, my favorite, um, like, I guess, you know, activist uh, and academic named Johanna Hedva, who wrote an essay called Sick Woman Theory, which mm -hmm. you can just find super easily by Googling it. She's, like, so, so amazing. Um, but, you know, she, I'm, like, paraphrasing, but she says something like, you know, 
you're not the one that needs fixing my queens. It's the world that needs fixing. (laughs) Oh, it's so good. And, yeah, you know, it's just, like, this beautiful moment, Mm -hmm. um, you know, of recognizing that, yeah, like, you know, if we continue to be blaming ourselves, Mm -hmm. and I mean, there are moments where we need to be accountable, and sometimes... We are doing shitty things Mm -hmm. that aren't serving us. I'm like, yes, like, let's take accountability and make different choices. Um, But I think that in that moment with you, it felt really important for me to make you aware that, you know, A, I still believed in, I mean, now you've just proven it, like, that you were going to succeed and be successful. I had no doubt about that. But um, that also, you know what was happening with your business not taking off immediately and you not making all of this money immediately really had very little to do with you. Mm -hmm. Um, And, like, I mean, also, world, in case, like, you didn't know this about Barbara, like, Barbara, like, basically taught herself how to be, like, an entrepreneur. (laughs) Like, she did not go to business school. Mm. Like, you know, these were not things that you had taught, you know, been taught. Like, you Mm -hmm. were, like, learning how to start a business As I was starting. As you were starting your business. So, you know, like, to me, I would just look at you and just be in such awe and be like, you're fucking learning how to do stuff. I have no idea how to do that. No idea where I would start. I feel so overwhelmed. So, um, you know, I think that, like, one, you know, and this, I don't think you had gotten to this articulation yet at this moment. I think this came later. Mm -hmm. And it's now a question that I always ask myself and that I get other people in my life to ask themselves, which is like, you know, what's the gentlest thing you can do for yourself right now? Yeah, yeah, that's been around with me for years. It's actually in the deck. Ah. It's in the deck of cards I made. Yeah. Okay, so it happens. Yeah. So but yeah. sometimes it takes, like, you know, like, it, it takes time for something to land with us, right. even when someone's told it to us before. But, yeah, it's a good one, right? Oh, what's yeah. good about it? It's just, like, you know, it, it's, like, gives you permission. Yeah. Um, which I think often we really need permission, mm-hmm. you know, to, you know, like, we think that, okay, the solution when I'm feeling shitty is to continue to produce, 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 yeah. get all of those boxes checked on my to-do list, and that's what's going to make me feel accomplished and good. And, you know, often it's, like, and it's so hard because it's so counterintuitive, but often the gentlest thing you can do is be like, all right, I'm putting that list aside. Yes. I'm going to lie on my couch and watch an episode of Queer Eye mm. and, you know, eat a tasty thing and maybe I'll get back to work after yeah. that. And, and maybe, maybe I won't. And when I, re- but at the end of the day, when I return to my work, I'm going to be returning to it in a better place mm-hmm. because I did the thing that was gentlest. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. So yeah, it's I like love it. one of my favorite all time prompts. Um, I use it especially for any of my clients who like tend to go towards the side of the spectrum that's a bit more intense emotionally um, because sometimes the other anchor questions that I work with like um, what's my next right step or what do I need right now or what lights me up sometimes those can feel like there's a right or a wrong answer mm. whereas what's the gentlest thing I can do for myself right now like automatically the thing that you're forced to prioritize is gentleness yeah and so even if there's like a thing you should be doing to support yourself like well I should move my body today but, like, if you're already freaking out, going for a run is probably only going to make you freak out sometimes even more. Whereas the gentlest thing is going to give you, like, first of all, it's going to make you feel better. But second of all, it's going to be a way that you give yourself evidence mm-hmm. that you can do nice things for yourself. Yeah. And that's so important. Like, we so badly need to 
be creating evidence of for ourselves of the way that we believe the world can be, the way that our relationship with ourselves can be. And I think it's so profound. And I think for me, what you set me up, like this, the question that I got set up with by the end of the night was like, what would building my business look like if I didn't depend on these catalyst markers of success to decide whether I was having an impact or not? Mm. And I, you know, by that point, I was doing a little bit of, I think, like, just a tiny bit of freelance writing on the side of my business so that I could afford to pay my bills. Um, And I remember before you and I had that conversation, I was starting to feel really guilty about having that side gig because I was, to me, I was like, that means my business isn't really legit yet because I have this like kind of more official side hustle that I don't really love. Mm. Um, But our conversation really reframed that experience for me and it meant that the next whatever six or seven months that I still had that side gig to help pay bills until my business really really did take off and got really solid financially was that it gave me the permission to be like no this is what I this side gig is what I need to be able to produce my work in a way that's values aligned in a way that I get to respect who I am and I get to live my way into my values and into my politics actively day-to-day within capitalism And building a business that, at the end of the day, like, money is what I use to exchange for services. Um, So, yeah, so it was really, really profound. Um, Yeah, before we wrap up, I wonder if we could, like, just spend maybe even, like, 10 or 15 minutes talking a little bit about um, what that conversation did for you in terms of moving forward. Because you said that, like, that was in the baby stages of Mm -hmm. you learning how to have difficult conversations with friends, um, what that conversation did for you or how you move forward from that conversation or other conversations in terms of growing in your own process of having difficult conversations with friends and holding space for people while also pointing themselves and yourself back to your values. Yeah. So, I mean, I think part of why at that point it was like challenging was like, cause I was still on my own, like, and I mean, we're all like, we're always on our like self-growth like Mm -hmm. path um but I think at that particular moment where I was at in like my own work around like trauma Mm -hmm. in my life was like you know I still had a lot of fear that if I said something that maybe challenged someone or maybe could be upsetting um that they would like leave me yeah uh and so that you know was kind of more of what was going on there um, for me at that point. And I also, you know, I guess, like, as an educator, I'm constantly thinking about how how can I, like, call someone in mm-hmm. to a conversation? And, I mean, a lot of folks have been, I even took a workshop, like, last year on, like, the differences between calling out and calling in. Um, Could you let people in on a little bit of the difference, just if they've never heard the term before? I'm sure lots of my audience will have, but... Yeah, so I mean, from the ways that I understand it, like, let's say you do a shitty thing. Mm -hmm. Calling you out might look like, you know, me just being like, Barbara, that thing you did was, like, really shitty and not okay. Mm -hmm. So that's, like, one form of it. Mm -hmm. Um, Another form of it is, like, sometimes people don't even go to the person, but they'll, like, go to social media and they'll Mm -hmm. be like, so-and-so did this thing. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, calling out and like, you know, I'm I'm grappling with my own positionality in this as a white woman who is cisgender Mm -hmm. and like, you know, holds a lot of privilege. Um, 
sometimes calling out is very necessary and comes from a place of just being really depleted because your marginalized existence Mm -hmm. is so exhausting Mm -hmm. that when someone fucks up, like, you don't have the energy to just sit down and be like, let's talk about this. Yeah. Uh, You know, you just need to be like, dude, not okay, don't do that. Check yourself, yeah. Um, And I mean, in the best kind of world, someone else would be able to hear that and be like, yes, you're right, that was not cool, Thanks Mm -hmm. for flagging it. Going to do some changes. Mm -hmm. But what I, you know, the way I try to approach things is by always bearing trauma in mind, you know, Mm -hmm. and having, you know, what we call like a trauma-informed approach. Uh, So, you know, often it's the case that when someone, you know, does something that you need to call out, that might be someone you know really well and so you know what their shit is. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know that you can just give them that kind of like harsh no-no mm-hmm. and that they'll be able to handle that. Um, other folks, you know, whether you know them or don't know them, might not respond well to that. So when I think about calling in, calling in is like about being like, hey, you did this thing. It didn't make me feel great. Can we talk about why that's not okay? Mm-hmm. So to me, I see it as more of a conversation and a process that works to towards healing and hopefully doesn't lead to ostracization and to being to people being pushed out of communities and sort of exiled because they did a shitty thing you know but again there's like more nuance to it than that but you know I sort of think about it like an example for my teaching yeah. might be like You know, I work with, like, students who are 17, 18 years old. First year university, they might have grown up in, like, a super small town with very conservative ideas, and they might come into a class and, like, refer to someone who is Indigenous as, like, an Indian. Oof. Ouch. And they're doing that because they don't know any better. Yeah. And so if in front of this class I sat there and was like, that's not right, you mm-hmm. can't see that. Um, that is going to probably deeply shame them. So instead, if I'm like, hey, so, you know, actually, like the word, you know, that we that we should be using that's more like politically correct is indigenous um, or First Nations. Here's why. And I like take that as a moment for education and growth then that student is going to hopefully walk out of that situation feeling like they've learned something, feeling like, oh, I can fuck up and make mistakes and it can be okay. Mm -hmm. But again, I want to, like, position myself there as, like, for me as being an ally, I see that, you know, as a white woman, I hold a certain amount of privilege And I don't experience marginalization and oppression on nearly the same scale as people of color, as folks who are trans, as folks who are First Nations or Indigenous. And so part of what I try to do in my role as an ally is to take the time and the emotional resources to educate. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I talk about these two and I want to do so without judgment. Mm -hmm. But I would, like, invite people to really consider what their approach is um, and where that's coming from in that moment. Yeah. I mean, I love that you brought up shame because I think that's a, that's a really careful 
like just a, a careful beast that we need to dance with when we're having difficult conversations with our friends mm-hmm. uh, because shame will eat a person up mm-hmm. and it will make them shut down. And I know that's those are some of the things it does to me. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I think is really powerful, and I, I will even say I have mixed and complicated feelings about all the ways that this is getting used, but what I love that you did in the conversation that you and I were having was that you... And I don't know if you did this intentionally, so I'm curious, but like the way that you made that conversation feel safe and that we kind of almost barricaded against shame in that conversation was by the fact that you reminded me of my own values and politics and you made me feel like a hero, mm. which, you know, I think can get complicated. But if we're going to talk about allyship, we're going to talk about um, what it means to become more aware of our privilege, then I think it's really, really important to help people know that they actually can make a difference and that who they are is good, um, but that certain behaviors might need to change in order for them to be able to honor who it is that they truly are. And so in that moment, you honor the fact that I do have, you know, values that are radical and that are are anti-capitalist. And by drawing my attention to the fact that I was actually telling myself stories and narratives that were out of line with my values... Mm-hmm. And and what I stand for, um, it kind of made me be like, hey, wait a second. I can do better than telling myself these stories. Like, I know better than this. Like, actually, I am better than this. And I think that that's kind of one thing that I've seen happening that I find is really, really powerful. When we pull people along and have difficult conversations with them, like, there's one way in which we can do it, which is like, you're bad. You did a bad thing, you know, to a different way where which we could say, like, hey, like, you're a good person, you know, you did something problematic, but here's how you can actually join us in allyship. Here's how you can get on board with living in a way that is more hopeful and more loving and more progressive. And I think that for me, at least as I'm like, you know, learning, like having this very public journey of like bringing my politics and my business and my values and all of it together into one, the more I'm like, All of the progressive movements, not all of them, but a lot of the progressive movements that have succeeded and have had a big impact. Yes, some of them have come from anger and fury and that anger and fury is really important. But also we need to be reminded of the hope and the possibility within people. And I even think of that. And, and, you know, this is like this maybe where we disagree or maybe not where we disagree or we just need to have another hour long conversation which we'll have another time because uh, we're friends but like that that quote that you said around like you do not need to be fixed what needs to be fixed is a system mm-hmm. I've recently been thinking in the last 24 hours <laughs> about the fact that so like the premise on which my business is built is that we do not need to be fixed we need to be supported. Mm. Like we are good as we are. All we need is greater support. And I've been thinking about like, what if we applied this to politics and mm. to the world? Like what if our, what our systems need is not to be fixed, but to be better supported? Mm. Like how could we better support our systems and our public life together so that we weren't caught up in all the scarcity that creates capitalism? Because mm. capitalism is the direct result of fear and scarcity And greed is the direct result of fear and scarcity. And if people being, like, having this, like, they have all the money in the world, but having this existential fear that they're not going to be okay, Um, you know? And so I'm kind of like, I don't know, I just think that within these tough conversations that we're having, whether they're between two very close friends or they're happening on the political sphere, I think, like, yes, let's be angry. Yes, let's be furious. Like, yes, let's feel all those things. And then let's also remember that if we want to move forward and we want people to stay engaged, 
we have to be thoughtful in how shame works. And we need to be thoughtful in supporting folks to be able to work through their shame so they don't get stuck in it because the shame isn't the point. Like, we don't need more, you know, you and I have had conversations about race where I've come to you with some of my, like, quote-unquote, white fragile feelings where I've been like, oh, but I just want to be a better white person, like, and a better ally to people of color. Like, I'm not a useful ally to people of color if I stay stuck there for years at a time. You know, like, where I actually need to move past is like, actually, no, this is the position of privilege I hold in our society unfairly. It's not cool. And also, what can I do to help? And how can I get in action in order to 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 support folks of color um, in their liberation and to also be actively engaged in decolonization? Um, you know, so I, I guess I just said a lot there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, it's like my sort of stance on it is... And I, and you know this about me in particular, like I've done a lot of work around in therapy around anger Mm -hmm. and I've spent a lot of time thinking about anger Mm -hmm. and the ways in which anger isn't always violence. Anger isn't always abuse. Like Mm -hmm. anger is like a real response to injustice. And so for me, I'm like, you know, I want, you know, especially folks of color who, you know, they're very toxic oppressive narratives around anger like the angry black man the angry black woman like you know don't be angry because you're going to be perceived as being like one of those stereotypes i want to be like yeah feel your anger Mm -hmm. and express it as an ally it's up to me to navigate how your anger maybe makes me feel uncomfortable Uh uh-huh where's that coming from for me um so you know in my allyship i I want to let that anger exist because I cannot begin to imagine what it feels like to be terrified that your son is going to walk out the front door who's, you know, as a young black man and be shot by a cop. Mm-hmm. I cannot know that. Mm-hmm. And so I want to honor that. And and then I, you know, but I do think, yes, like I want us to like imagine what possibilities can exist um, because how else will we survive without that? Like we need that. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I think where you and I differ is that part of me is like, the system is broken. We need to tear it the fuck down and rebuild something better. We need to be turning to the indigenous people who occupied this land for generations mm-hmm. before, like, white settlers came along. Mm-hmm. And we need to look at how they were doing things from a, like, focus on community, mm-hmm. from a focus on a sustainable relationship to the land, from, you know, a response where it's like, whatever fucking gender you are, like, no one can, like, you know, mm-hmm. like, that's... So we need to... I think that... I don't think it's necessarily about supporting yeah. what we have. I think what we have is broken. Yeah. is not good. And we need to tear it down. Um, but, you know, and there are folks who are doing that work of tearing it down. Mm-hmm. And we need to be there as allies to help with that process and be there to be like, all right, and now we're ready to do the labor of rebuilding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess maybe I'm thinking about it more in terms of, like, how can we support the people that make up the systems as a whole, mm. you know? So, like, because I, dis- I wouldn't disagree with you that, like, the systems that currently exist is deeply problematic mm-hmm. and is built on the backs of folks of color mm-hmm. and, like, other marginalized folks. You know, even we could say, like, lower class folks, you know, mm-hmm. we don't, mm-hmm. we, can, we can talk so many ways about this. But I guess I'm curious around 
And I'm not even talking about the anger of folks who are marginalized in any particular sphere or positionality. I'm more curious around like how we work through the anger and the shame when we're trying to be better as allies. Right. That's right. the anger that yeah, I'm talking yeah. about. Okay. Is like, you yeah. know, because I think that the anger is really, I, I mean, you know this, like I don't think feelings are morally good or bad. I think they're morally neutral. Um, and I think they're all useful and that our job is to be able to create competency and capacity to be able to feel all the way across the emotional scale. But as I think about how engaging in conversations with people who stand in a very different place than me um, in terms of understanding politics or equity or any of those things, you know, I've even been thinking recently about kind of re-engaging with some of the folks who I knew back when I was an evangelical Christian and doing some pretty, you know, what I would now call seedy shit, even though at that point it felt like pretty righteous, like mm-hmm. trying to convert people to Christianity hmm. who are of the, the religions, which now blows my goddamn mind and I think is so violent. Um, you know, and I I kind of, as I think about engage, trying to engage those folks, um, I'm just curious about how we engage people so they don't shut down due to shame, mm-hmm. um, so that they have space to grieve the system that they've bought into, how they've co-opted into that system, how sad that system is, how depressed they are, how much it hurts them, how much it hurts others way more than them, and then how they can be slowly pulled into the ranks of like, and let's believe that there's a better way of doing things and let's move towards that. You know, because I think most of us, to be honest, aren't even aware yeah, and I and I meet like I'm including you and I in this situation, but like I don't think we're aware. And lately, I've been thinking about this. Like we're aware of how much systems are built against us. Like even as women, I don't think we're aware of how intensely the patriarchy still reigns. I literally think that like two generations from now, like 60, 80 years from now, women are gonna look back on our generation and be like, "Wow, they thought they had it so good." Like, they thought that it was, you know, um, I think that there's more and more waking up to do. And I think most of us aren't comfortable with waking up to just how bad things are because there's so much grieving work involved in that. Yeah, and I I would agree. I mean, no one wants to really have bad feelings. Yeah. Um, they hurt. Difficult they feelings, suck. Yeah. They take a lot of work Labor, to yeah. move through. But... You know, this is where, like, if we're shifting to a more communal-focused understanding of how to exist in the Mm -hmm. world, like, we're going to be there to hold each other and support each other through those feelings, even if, like, you know, our paths are happening, you know, at different rates Mm -hmm. or, like... But I think that, like, you know, for me, when I think about, you know, if I were to give people, like, hot tips on, like, how to, like, have these conversations with your friends, like... You know, I would just say, like, you know, one, just try to get curious. Mm -hmm. When someone says something that you don't agree with, instead of saying, I don't agree with that, ask them questions. Like, why do you believe that? Where does Mm -hmm. that belief come from? Like, what if you thought about it like X? Mm -hmm. Like, asking questions will, like, promote more dialogue and more openness that's not at the risk of, like, really amplifying shame. And to just, like, remember that everyone... It's possible for everyone to grow and just holding space for that and compassion for that person and maybe even try to get a little excited that you're there to say these things that could change their life. And then the lives of so many other people. Exactly. do less harm to as a result yeah yeah one of my favorite uh podcasters and just like overall heroes rob bell he did a podcast a while back 
where one of the he talks he talked about like how we have conversations across divides and I think I told you recently this on like the very sad election night that we had here in Ontario um where he said your evolution took a long time Mm -hmm. so other people's evolution is gonna take a long time and like stop trying to hurry it like be engaged be creative be curious be open but know that your evolution took a long time to wherever you are like if we played a tape of who you were 15 years ago right now you'd probably cringe at some of the worldviews that you're holding. And so give other people time also to evolve. Like, that doesn't happen overnight. So, yeah. Thank you, Margot, for having this conversation with me. You know, and I think I think we did a bunch of different things on this podcast episode. You described neoliberalism to us so well. Um, we talked about what that experience of coming through to the other side of buying into those narratives was like for me. But then I also think... One thing we did at the end is that we actually modeled the very thing that we're talking about, which is that like we had a difficult conversation about like a concept I've been like picking up and like looking at like as if it's a marble and like seeing how the light streams through it. And you were able to be like critically like, actually, I think this. And I was like, oh, well, actually, if I think about it critically, then I think this like you and I stayed curiously and creatively engaged in the conversation, even when there was moments of me and like bringing up a hypothesis that was like possibly problematic Mm -hmm. and you addressing it so lovingly and us being able to do that in person with each other and this is yeah yeah we did it i love you we did it margot and i do a lot of singing it's one of our favorite things seriously when she first got here today i was making us lunch and we just i like i thought about it and i was like i think the first nine or ten sentences each that we exchanged was all sung. Yeah. Like, literally. Yeah. For maybe the first ten or fifteen minutes. Yeah, that sounds about it, right? That sounds right. Yeah. So, that was great. So, thank you for being fun and being playful with me and being creative and curious and engaged. And I'm so glad we're bringing this conversation to my community. Um, where can folks find you if they want to connect with you? Oh, great question. Um, yeah. So I have a website. Um, I don't really understand how podcasts work, but I'm sure Barbara can like write it out for you. There will be show notes. Uh, great. (laughs) But it's margofeldman.com. Uh, so you can find me there. Um, and I mean, I love having you follow me on Instagram. So my handle is at floral.manifesto. Oh, I love it so much. Mm. Yeah, that handle, if I can say, comes from a fashion and politics and writing blog. Yeah, that I had at one point. Oh, that I just loved. I just thought it was so great. And I love that the handle has stuck around, even mm-hmm. if the blog isn't like an active part of your life anymore. So yeah, thanks for coming on and being my pal and having this conversation and supporting the world with thinking about these complicated, beautiful, healing, transformative things. You're a real, a real love warrior in the world. And I just feel so honored to be able to uh, yeah, be part of this work in the world with you. You don't even have words. That's the nicest. Uh, thanks for having me. I love chatting about this stuff all the time. Yeah. Uh, cool. Cool. Great. Okay. Bye. <laughs>
I think this is really the beauty of cultivating people in your life who can both hold safe space for you, but also challenge you and engage you in conversations that are critically engaged, that test your assumptions, and that are able to offer you a soft place to land when you know that it's time to kind of engage in a more creative and curious way and in a way that might feel like it's outside of your comfort zone. So everyone, find yourself a friend like Margot. If you resonate with this episode, if you found it helpful, especially in light of today's political climate, I really encourage you to share this both publicly uh, through social media, but also privately with friends through email or just by telling them about it. Um, I think having these conversations is really, really important. And a lot of us don't know how to breach these conversations with our friends about politics, about shame, about allyship. And it really happens just one series of text messages, one email, one chat over coffee at a time. So if there's a friend that you want to be having more conversations like this with, maybe consider sending them this podcast. Apart from that, I, of course, would also love it if you subscribe to the podcast or reviewed it on iTunes. I would be so, so very grateful. All right, friends, can't wait to talk to you next week. Have a wonderful day.